0: If you would take your Bibles, we're going to continue in the book of Matthew 20, uh, chapter 27. And we're going to look at some attitudes that crucified Christ. And last Sunday we began to prepare ourselves for this communion that we're going to partake of today, the Lord's Supper. And, and, and in doing so, we're going to think about the cross. That's what I want us to, to focus on today, the cross. Um, you might find some of these attitudes, they, I'm going to be honest with you, they challenged me as I went through them. You, you may find some of these that hit home. And, and let me say first, it, it's okay. Admitting that you have one of these, maybe that you might have some of these attitudes or one of these attitudes is part of the sanctification process And we know we need to make sure we get rid of those or turn them over to the Lord and and become better. That's all part of the walk with Christ. But some of these um, attitudes in here that we're going to look at, we looked at self-righteousness last week and hypocrisy. We did that with with Judas. So we're just going to keep going down. Um, These attitudes are really what crucified Christ. So we want to make sure that None of those fit. But again, if they do, we need to deal with it as well if they do. And and I want us to take an honest look. The first one we're going to look at is a cowardness. Now, we're just going to go, we'll start out with verse 11 in Matthew 27. We have to understand within Pilate himself that cowardness played a big part in every decision he made about Jesus and trying to make a non-decision. So it's 11 through 13, then I'm going to jump over and do 24. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he had accused... When he was accused of the chief priests and elder, elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, "Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? When Pilate saw that he could not prevail, that he could prevail nothing, but that rather atonement was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, "I am innocent." Of the blood of this person, see ye to it. Now in all the parts of Matthew 27 we've been reading over the past Sundays, this part I haven't read. I hope you have already read it. Because this is the most chilling part in this little section of Scripture. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Why do you think Pilate did that? How many reasons can one man have to make such a, a, a wrong decision and then try to act like he has washed himself clean of this? But it's mainly fear. It's mainly fear. If we think about it in an overarching concept of everything that he did in this context, what I just read and what he did the last two weeks, it's all about fear. Pilate had a fear that he would maybe lose his job, not be governor. He might lose, by losing his job, he might lose his prestige in the land as being the governor, how many of us under the osmosis of fear have not done what we need to do for Jesus in days or years past because of fear of what somebody might think, what implications my job may have because of something I say, so fear, I tell you, is behind a lot of things. Really fear and pride. But anyway, for this part, fear. There's many reasons we saw, but a coward is nothing but a fearedness. So the cowardness or the fearfulness of what Pilate was afraid of with the people pushed and drove his decision. And it's a decision that put him into Hell please do not let that be one of our ongoing positions of fear. <laughs> we as believers are challenged now more than we have in years past under the osmosis of fear, of under the osmosis of being quiet. Just don't say anything. Now what's the difference if somebody comes up to you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you, because of the the People you're around, you might have a your boss or, or something. You may have some, some peer pressure around you that you just don't say anything. See, that's what Pilate did. And he surmised in his mind that it was okay. But the problem is you cannot be neutral about Jesus. Being neutral about Jesus is a damnable offense. What did Pilate say? I find no fault in Him, but crucify Him anyway. How many of us will profess that we find no fault in Christ, but our daily walk does not reflect that belief? That's what it really means to believe. You do know that, don't you? You can't just verbalize, I believe in Jesus. Most anybody can say that. But when it becomes something that works out in your life, your life will reflect that statement. The good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the disappointments, the tears, the joy, everything reflects, I believe in Jesus. Or either it doesn't. Pilate again. I find no fault in him. You cannot be neutral. Indecision. The Bible is full of it, and you don't hear it a whole lot. But in indecision, not making a decision, is a damnable offense. Heard a heard a guy preach a long time ago. He said he was preaching out of Romans. He was talking about missionaries. He was our North American mission leader at that time. I didn't see him live, don't, don't, don't. but anyway, I saw something recorded for him and was watching it. It was really good, but what he said was this in a nutshell. He said that some people get the idea that if they, and I'm talking about people that are in countries that don't have any kind of contact with the outside world. I'm talking about tribes of people that are just to themselves. They don't know everything going on. They don't have anything. People that are opposed to missions will say that that group of people, whatever that is, let's just say some, some indigenous tribe of Indians somewhere in the Amazon desert that have never seen nothing but themselves, you know, they haven't met civilization. People will say that if we don't give the gospel to these people, that they'll be all right anyway. They'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. But that's being neutral, someone that doesn't know better. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, if you read the Bible, the Bible is plain. Salvation is put in the heart of every person. You don't have to hear the gospel to know that you're broken. You don't have to hear the gospel to know that there's nothing you can do, that your moral compass is awful, Is just upside down from everything that you know ought to happen. We are innate in that. And what I mean by innate, we are the people that God created. That's what part of being in the image of God is like is having that, if you will, God-sized hole inside of you that only God can feel through the Holy Spirit. So ignorance from hearing the gospel is not an excuse. Satan will tell you it is. That's how people that that have run around because It used to always, I never thought it was true, but the older I get, the more I believe it is true that there's literally people living in, let's just keep it home, living around Bladen County that probably have never heard or never been to church. To me, years ago, that was a hard pill to swallow, but also churches were a lot full, and I'm not beating y'all down. I'm not saying anything. I love every one of you, and, and we got a good crowd here today. I'm not saying anything about that. But through the years, big churches were filled up years ago. And, and back then, I just sort of thought everybody had a at least an Easter Sunday, and you know, that kind of familiarity with church. But the older I get... The more I notice that there's people that have generations of people, in other words, mothers, fathers, kids, you know, that down the line, that have never been to church. Never necessarily considered church in our county. That's bizarre to think about. So, so so what how do we lay our heads down at night? How do we say, that I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to tell everybody that I meet because they they probably know it. They just made the wrong decision. There'll be people that have already died. I mean, you, you just talk about history of people that have never heard the word that don't make it. That should keep everybody up. That's what the push of foreign missions is all about. Because if that is true, if the, the, the kind of mainstream idea is that if they don't really know if they're that indigenous people that are cut off from society, they ought to be okay anyway. If that sort of, sort of um, pie-in-the-sky mentality is, was actually true, then when we have a, a foreign mission push, and all of a sudden, we send a, a missionary to that tribe. What are we supposed to tell them to do? Just poke their fingers in the ears and not listen to the missionary? The Bible tells us plainly that God has set salvation in the heart of every person. We have got to get the news out. We cannot be fearful of what people will think. If you truly believe, if it's the old story, if there was... Somebody that you cared about or or cared somewhat about standing on a cliff and it was like the Grand Canyon down there, a fur piece down. There was no way I was going to live. Wouldn't you tell me not to take the next step? So do we really believe in Jesus to the point of knowing that if I take that next step, I'm done? Fear and being coward is what sent Pilate to hell. And we've got to be careful as people in this day and time not to fall prey to just cowering down and keeping our mouth shut. Now, I'm not talking about being bombastic and, and starting rots. I'm not talking, I'm talking, but I'm talking about standing firm in your faith, Cowardness. And, and, and the Bible doesn't say, but according to popular church history, uh, Pilate didn't last long after that. He actually... They say, whoever said he committed suicide, don't know, it's not in the Bible, but that's just what people have have always said. So some historical document might have found it, I don't know. But it was fearfulness, a fear of losing something he possessed, whether it's monetary position, whatever it was, cost him, and that's one of the reasons he pushed Jesus forward to be crucified. Now, I want to read something out of the very last book of the Bible. You may want to turn to Revelation chapter 21. I want us to pay attention to this. If you mark in your Bible, I would recommend marking this. Because Revelation chapter 21 is like a the heading. If your Bible has a heading in it, it's at the part where the new heaven and the new earth is coming down, Okay. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. That chapter, chapter 21. I want to read just one verse. It's verse 8. No, I'm not. I'm going to read some more. I'm going to start at verse 6. I'm going to tell you why he said what he did, starting with verse 6. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Best news in the Bible. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But, that's verse 8. I want us to listen to it. But, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I want to let that sink in just a moment. Are you ashamed of Jesus? It will show. It will show in your actions. And cowardness. crucified Jesus. Moving right along, we've got quite a few of them to get through today. Ignorance. I've sort of touched on ignorance. Ignorance crucified Jesus. Back in Matthew 27, going to be at verse 20 now. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. We need to make sure we understand what's going on. Back in Matthew 27... Pilate has said, I wash my hands. And then the elders, the chief, the religious folks of the day started saying, all right, we've got to get all these people out here. We'll call them the mob, for lack of a better word. The people, the mob. We got to get them chanting Barabbas, 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 and kill Jesus, crucify. And they went along. Okay, that's what the Bible said. And then at that point, the religious leaders of the day got a group of people, a, a mob, if you will, those that were around, screaming and chanting for the blood of Jesus. Said, well, I was just ignorant of what I was doing. If anybody would have asked him, what are you doing? They probably could have said, I don't really know, but my, my leader, my religious leader, said that I ought to be doing that. My chief priests, my elders, they said I ought to do it. Now, let me tell you again, Real plain, do not. I don't even care if I say it. If you can't find it in the Bible, disregard it. But on the other hand, if I tell you what's in the Bible, you better believe it. Because I didn't say it. That's what God's Word says. So they conformed to public opinion. They conformed to the crowd. Think about it sheer ignorance i think that's one of the biggest religion in today is conformity is conformity okay ignorance is not innocence okay there's a difference innocence is what saves young children that's innocence that's different Ignorance is different. Okay? A person does not know that they may still be innocent because God has revealed himself in every hungry heart. They can't. That's when you're trying to be ignorant. But once that... Revelation within your heart is revealed. Your age of innocence is over. So don't let your ignorance to the facts say, well, I don't understand it, lead you to think that therefore that is an excuse because it's not. If you want to know God, the Bible is plain. You can know God. The Gospel of John tells us this. John chapter 7, two verses, 16 and 17 says, and these these should be words in red. If you have a red-lettered edition of the Bible, it says, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. In other words, Jesus said, this is not anything new. This This is from before, the Old Testament. If any man will do his will... He shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. See, that's where the aptitude or the knowledge base of the congregation listening to the speaker needs to be elevated up to make sure they understand what's coming out of whoever's mouth is speaking in front of them is actually coming from God or from the Word of God. Because there's many people that will sit in the pews of a church Throughout history, especially in America, and some 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 well-meaning or some, uh, whatever you want to call them, person might be sitting up in the pulpit saying something that's, that's a little skewed. And they're going, well, you know, I'm not sure about that, but he's the preacher. See, if that was true, I could save all y'all myself. But that's not true. I can't save anybody. And it's not me, but it's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in me. So we need to make sure that we don't choose be in the road of I don't know. That's the preacher's job. I don't know. That's the Sunday school teacher's job. I don't know. I got better things to do to figure that out. I'll just trust what they say. People don't know, they can know. The, the word is a living document. All right, moving on. Hard-heartedness. Back in Matthew 27 at verse 27, we're going to talk about being hard-heartedness. In other words, indifference, hard-heartedness. When the soldiers of the governors took Jesus into the common hall and gathered into him the whole band of soldiers, a bunch of soldiers, they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And then, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. Let's stop there real quick. Let's stop right there. If you read that as a textbook, you'll say, well, they give him the scarlet robe, they put a crown on his head, and they bowed a knee, And they said, Hail, king of the Jews. What's wrong with that? It's a condition of the heart. They were mocking him. So don't let anything... Just because someone says something, make sure you understand their heart to know that they're not mocking. Because hard-heartedness is a terrible thing. Those soldiers could have literally cared less about what they were doing. They decided to make sport of Jesus. They had no respect. He was just somebody they were fixing to crucify, so he's gonna have, they're going to have a little bit of fun as a group of guys with him before. That's all that was. Hardheartedness. Okay? Then they spit on him. And took a reed and smote him on the head. In other words, beat him over the head with that crown of thorn on his head. Beating it down on his head. And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put on his, his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. So these soldiers took Jesus aside. The Bible doesn't say how long they did it, but it says they did it. So they did it, and Lord knows how long they did it. I don't know. It could have been hours. It could have been moments. It could have been days. I don't know. They brutalized Jesus. These were hard-hearted men. I want to ask you something. Can you actually hear the story of the cross and not be moved? I want to know if you can hear the story of the cross, if you can read the scripture of the crucifixion and not be a little upset on the inside. If you can, you may want to check the condition of your heart because my sin... And your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. It's not something out there that did it. It's something in here. That's why his atoning death is such a beautiful thing that it is. He, again, being an infinite person, the God, the Godhead, Jesus, the God-man on earth, for a finite piece of time, paid for the sin of the infinite. In other words, for all times. Times back and whatever times forward. Do we live in light of that truth? So can you hear the description of Jesus dying in agony and blood and it not move you? You might be guilty of hard-heartedness. Our sins were the sins that nailed him on the cross. Our hard hearts are, if you will, were the hammers that drove the nails in. Does that not move you a little bit? Don't play games in light of Calvary. Don't make light of the cross. Hard-heartedness crucified Jesus. Next one is being indifference. Indifferent. The mob. This is just verse 36, still in Matthew 27. And sitting down, they watched there. They watched him there. And sitting down, they watched him there. Talking about the mob, the people that were there. The general crowd that was there. They saw Jesus. They sat down. They watched. They didn't fight Jesus. They didn't fight for Jesus. They didn't fight against Jesus. They didn't supply the nails. They didn't hold the hammer. They didn't spit on him. They simply watched him. They were impressed. The Bible says in Matthew 23 verse 48 that they even smote or beat their chest. Which means they disapproved. But that's all they did. Think about it. But it takes more than some kind of pious gesture to save a soul. In other words, you can't pay toolage or omnage or tip your hat to the gospel and expect that be okay. But they never lined up with the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that that is more like about any other group we have now is the what they call the semi-indifferent folks. They can sing the songs. They can sing amazing grace. I Love that song. All five verses or six, sometimes according to what book you grab it in. I love that song. They listen to preaching. They even may may say something like Amen, but they never come out for Jesus. They never stand up for Jesus. Maybe they're impressed with Jesus. He was a good man. They watch, but ultimately they're indifferent. Song Mr. Bizzle sings a lot. He loves to sing it. You can see a gleam in his eye when he sings it. It's an old Kingsman song called Excuses. Everybody knows that song knows about it. It talks about the different excuses staying out of church. One of the verse says is one of the verse says something like this: a headache Sunday morning and a backache Sunday night. But by work time Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. The doctor told you now, you better watch them crowds. They'll set you back. But you go to that old ball game because you say it helps you to relax. Right? Indifference. Indifference. All right, how about skepticism? Skepticism. We're still back in Matthew 27. We're going to start at verse 39 now. We're going to talk about some of the elders and scribes and, and others. And they that passed by reviled him. "'Wagging their heads, saying, "'Thou that destroyeth the temple "'and buildest it in three days, save thyself. "'If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross.' "'Likewise also the chief priests, "'mocking him with, and with the scribes and elders, saying, "'He saved others, himself he cannot save. "'If he be the king of Israel, "'let him come down from the cross,' And we will believe him. Right? Skepticism. Meet my demands. Do this. Do this miracle. Do that miracle. Do this. Come down from the cross. I'll believe you then. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. In other words, let God deliver him now. If you will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The Bible tells us that the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth, in other words, said the same thing, said the same stuff. That is skepticism. Skepticism today, as, as it did then, crucified Jesus. They misquoted Jesus about the temple. It actually said, actually what Jesus said is in John 2, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise up, is what he said. And that's what he did. But they misquoted him. So it's skepticism. Can't even get it right when he say it. So he, again, he was talking about the temple of his body, not a physical temple. They mocked his deity. If thou be the son of God. You know, we as a, especially with social justice that you see now, we're pretty brass people now. Especially in the media. We'll say, they call them like keyboard ninjas. They'll just, they'll, just blow somebody just just type in stuff that would you wouldn't dare say to people's face, right but think about what they said to jesus' face they said, If you are the Son of God, come down. they mocked him, they mocked him they minimized they minimized his death and saying, Well, just save yourself. They did not understand that that the crucifixion and the death was the reason Jesus said over and over again, that's the reason he came was to die for our sin. So we live in an age of cynicism and skepticism. There's many um, people that sing gospel music that have, what do they call it? Deconstructed. They've been deconstructed is what they call it. They started having their Faith challenged because of something. Something somebody maybe said, some kind of life event. Something challenged them, and all of a sudden, well, I don't know if I believe it or not. They started becoming skeptics. Think about this. Men are not sinners because they're skeptics. They're skeptics because they're sinners. Unbelief never comes out of the head. It always comes out of the heart. And you used to hear people say all the time that the gospel really is an inside job. It is. It's a a condition of the heart. So in conclusion, these are some attitudes that crucified Christ. And I want us to think about how all that was found for the most part in Matthew 27, that one chapter. I think many of us would understand that perhaps some of these attitudes are maybe in our own heart. Skepticism, hypocrisy, cowardness, hardness of heart, self-righteousness, whatever it may be. When we come to the Lord's table today, as we're about to do, let's ask the question of ourselves. Are we willing to crucify the Son of God afresh today? Are we willing to do that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight 28 that we come to the Lord's table, we need to examine our hearts. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to see whether we're worthy or not, okay? Well, none of us is worthy. We're here by grace. But we've got to live in light of grace. But the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27, that if we take the Lord's Supper unworthily, in other words, in a wrong manner, we're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. We'll crucify Him afresh. So I want us to take some time We're going to look in our hearts. We're going to take a moment of quietness. And we're going to see if any of these attitudes are in our hearts. And we need to deal with them now before we do the Lord's Supper. We're going to also understand what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we're going to enjoy a meal with a friend whose name is Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, as we're here today, Lord, we know that you are God and above you there is no other. Lord, let us be the people that believe what we say we believe. Lord, let us be the people that walk the walk and talk the talk and our lives reflect the belief in you. Lord, it's challenging today to walk as if we believe in you. That's a challenge, Lord with the world we live in. But Lord, I know with your grace and your mercy and your guidance and your patience with us, we can be those people that walk afresh and anew with you. And others will see you in us. And Lord, I pray, bring to a saving knowledge of grace before it's everlastingly too late. Lord, we love you. Lord, we are so unworthy. But Lord, the Bible's plain and we claim it today that if we confess our sins wholeheartedly to you, that you're faithful and just to forgive us all our sins. Lord, and cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you for that hope that's found only in you. For it's in the lovely name of Jesus I pray. All God's people say, Amen. Amen.